Good morning everybody, this is Victoria, your dog guru, and today we're having another episode of Coffee and Canines. The episode really revolves around you guys and the questions you're sending in, and as your dog guru, I offer my professional opinion and advice. So let's get into it. First question of the day comes from Harriet Leonard, and Harriet wants to know what to do about her dog biting her spouse. She writes, dog guru, I need your help. My husband is becoming my dog's chew toy. What do I do? This aggression has to stop. Otherwise we're going to have to find another alternative for our Edward. So please send me your advice. I'm listening. Well, Harriet, thank you so much for listening. I'm very excited to answer your question because it's actually my greatest topic of interest. Um, when clients would call me, typically it would be in a case exactly like this where their dog was aggressing against someone in the home or out on a walk or against a pet sitter or what have you. So I'm gonna start by talking about aggression to start off with, what it is and what it isn't. I think there are a great many misconceptions about having an aggressive dog or how you could be really contributing to the problem without realizing it and how to get your dog to relax regardless of where they are or who they're being exposed to. There are a handful of different types of aggression. There's fear-based aggression, there's on-leash aggression, defensive aggression, dominance-seeking aggression, and reactive forms of aggression. So first of all, we kind of have to dissect what it is. I think the main problem with aggression in general is the stigmas attached to it. You know, you have a bad dog, you have an unreasonable dog, there's no way to change the behavior. And basically my life's work was changing everyone's minds. I often got referrals even from other trainers of dogs that were kind of over their head in skill level and they would send them to me so that they could have confidence in the person that was working with the dog that could actually address the problems that the owners were having. And so that was my forte. Um, and it still is, you know, reading body language and dealing with aggression and anxiety, the diagnosis, the treatment and the rehabilitation, that's where I sink my teeth into. And there's no pun intended there. So when it comes to aggression, the best start is figuring out what are the triggers, where is it coming from and how often you're seeing it. For example, if you're only seeing your dog get aggressive with another dog in your home, then you need to address that. If you are having a situation like Harriet's and your spouse is getting used as a chew toy, then you'll start there. So we're gonna start off with Harriet's case specifically. I'm gonna make a, a couple of assumptions because I haven't met the dog personally, but what I can tell you is if a dog is aggressing towards a spouse, someone they live with every day, then you really need to build up that relationship and stop doing things that contribute to the problem. So think about it this way. Are there times where your dog isn't aggressing? Can you be sitting on the couch together and your husband walk in the room and there be no issue whatsoever? What's the context of the bite? Is it super frequent? Is it when your husband goes over to pet the dog? Is it only when you're trying to hug your spouse? Where do you see the problem cropping up when your husband actually tries to do something with the dog? Take it for a walk, play with it, uh, go and cuddle with him without you present. You need to identify when this is happening and how frequently it's happening. If it's happening every time your dog is exposed to your husband, then it's kind of an across the board issue. If you're seeing it in one of the, the scenarios I just presented, then you're going to need to shift the interaction in those sorts of cases. So if your husband can't get close to you, I would assume that that's some sort of defensive mechanism, either to protect you or to keep his space to himself. In either case, it really doesn't matter um, 
in terms of how you'll treat it because I would kind of go about it the same way. If you're not having any issues with the dog going after you whatsoever, then we really need to make your husband the primary caregiver because we already know that he's got stock in the game with you. But when it comes to your husband, there's really no value to him there. And that's assuming that your husband hasn't done anything negative or taunted him on purpose, which I'm making that assumption. If this is a rescue or a new dog to your family, then it could be something that happened way before he ever met your husband. Perhaps uh, a different gentleman was abusive to Edward, or maybe he didn't pay any attention to them, or perhaps even he was aggressive towards the spouse in the previous case. Meaning, you know, if he was aggressive towards the spouse, then the dog's gonna be more defensive of you, even though the dynamic is not the same, because that's what's most familiar. So going back to the first step, I would make your husband the primary caregiver. Make sure all the treats come from him, food comes from him, all the good stuff. Now, I would have kind of a hands-off approach because you already have a history built up where your husband is becoming a chew toy, like you said. So I would leave out the option of trying to go pet Edward and I would address things where Edward has to come into his space. Edward has to bond to your husband to get what Edward wants. So every day that there's food time, um, you know, your husband could call Edward into the room, ask him to sit because now they're building some sort of authority there. And I would even tell your husband to ignore eye contact altogether with Edward, assuming that this could be a trigger there. So we can always add in eye contact later, but in the very beginning, start asking your husband to call the dog over when he's going to get some sort of reward. And then with food, you can ask him to sit, you can ask him to wait. Those are both self-control exercises. And then he's gonna get his food. You don't have to press the dog. You really should draw back a little bit physically. Engaging with him by trying to pet him is probably not gonna go well for either of you and it's going to contribute to your problems. So that while that's the ultimate goal is for them to get along just the way he gets along with you, I really wouldn't focus there yet because until you have some sort of good rapport built up and a break in habits, you're not going to be, you're gonna be adding insult to injury. If Edward has a favorite toy, for example, I would have your husband be the sole caregiver for that toy. Every time that Edward wants that toy or, you know, if he's looking for it, have your husband be the distributor of that toy. So this way, now we've gone from food value to now playtime value. And rather than your husband handing Edward the toy directly, I would just say his name like Edward and then I'd toss it. So this way he doesn't feel like his space is being encroached on, but you are drawing him in. Once again, you're bringing him back to your husband in a constructive way. Another technique that I used to recommend to dogs that were super reactive or defensive, what have you, is I would stick a couple bags of treats around the house uh, above dog level. And then every time I was going to walk into a space where the dog was definitely going to see me and definitely going to respond or react, I would go ahead and grab some treats. And then I would say their name, no eye contact. I'd walk through the room. And as I am before the dog launches itself at me, I toss treats away from me. Again, pushing them a little further out is not a bad idea. They wanna feel like they have a little bit more control. And sometimes you have to give them that illusion before you can start taking space. I would spend at least a week or two minimum doing just those exercises. And to build on those before I ever put my hands on the dog, I'd recommend going ahead and leashing him. And I don't mean your husband leashing him, I mean you. Go ahead and put him on a leash when you're home and your husband is home. And then 
have your husband do something really simple with Edward, something that he knows. So let's just take sit for example. So he'll be on the leash. Once you've got him clipped on the leash, make sure you're in a more open space in your home so it's not too cramped for either of them. Dogs can be claustrophobic. And then I want him to say Edward's name. So Edward, sit, no eye contact, just the cue. And then wait, just tell your husband to stand there, completely ignore Edward for a little while. And then when Edward, even if he doesn't listen to the cue when you say it, when he finally sits down because he's bored, that's when I would go, good boy, Edward, and toss the treat. Let him go get it and end the session. Duration isn't as important as adding more and more positive interactions. So short and sweet can really get you the furthest along. And it's practicing it over and over that makes it possible to move forward. Extending sessions, getting closer in proximity, things like that. In the very beginning when I have a dog on a leash, I let them be as far at the end of that leash as they wanna be. So this way, I if they were to head in towards me, I can move the leash away from my body so they can't bite me. But also, they don't have an escape route anymore. If he gets sick of me or he doesn't like what I'm doing, even though my hands aren't on him, he doesn't have that same ability to bail on the whole interaction. In the midst of this, continue tossing treats at Edward every time you're walking through the room. Just a nice bright voice, Edward, no eye contact, toss the treat, let Edward get the treat, and then go about your business. The more times that Edward sees that when your husband comes through the room, he's tossing treats, the more likely he's going to be excited about your husband showing up. If Edward at any point seems to like he's in a defensive posture or like he's just not into it, that's when I know I've hit his threshold. That's how I know we don't need to... In increase intensity, we need to stay where we are until that becomes a pleasurable experience for him. And you can always tell if your dog is stressed. I mean, especially whether you've had the dog for months or a couple of days, you can easily key into, oh, that doesn't look good. Or, oh, he seems like he's growling or he's whining a lot. And that's how you know that that's plenty of interaction. That's plenty of stress in the situation at once. You don't keep adding behavior after the behavior if he's stressed about it. You need to build slowly with constant reinforcement. You know, you could do those one minute sessions eight times a day. And the more positive associations Edward has with your husband, the more he's going to value him. The other thing is, and I don't know if you do this or not, but a lot of owners who have aggressive dogs do this. And it's one thing I always advise against is if Edward is launching himself off the couch or only going after your husband when he tries to sit down on the couch or when he tries to talk to you in close proximity, that's when I kick them off the couch and any other furniture that they consider theirs because height gives dogs a semblance of superiority and you really don't want him thinking that he's higher up on the chain than your husband or worse, both of you. You know, dogs that are typically aggressive usually have very little respect within the home between owners, not just the owner they're aggressing against, but often the person who they have the closest relationship with. Why? Because they know they can control that person. They know that if they bark, 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 you're going to scoop them up and say, oh, it's okay. It's okay. Calm down. It's just daddy. Well, he's not interested in daddy. And by leaving him on the couch, he's getting what he wants. He's defending the couch. Just like if you were looking at a window, barking at the mailman and the mailman continues to drive off, he goes, well, job done. Got my way. He doesn't know that he had no bearing on whether the mailman stayed or left. But 
to him, it looks like, oh, mailman approached, bark, 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 mailman leaves, mission accomplished. So to really make progress here, you have to think like your dog. Simplifying is key, consistency is key, and this kind of goes without saying, but patience. Patience is really important when you're trying to retrain aggression. In the meantime, I definitely want your husband to be the primary caregiver. Make sure he's feeding the dog, make sure he's walking through the room and tossing treats at the dog. Then you can work towards um, having him on leash. And slowly but surely, because of all of these other pieces, the dog is going to naturally start gravitating towards your husband. However, this is less likely if you're giving him access on the furniture or you're giving him access onto your lap when you very well know that he's going to be defensive of you. I always kick a dog off my lap or off the couch or off the bed. Anything that they think that they have control over saying, no, 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 this is mom's or this is dad's. And if he hops back up, I just heard him gently back off the same piece of furniture that they were interested in in the first place. So this way I'm starting to set a standard as well. I'm telling him that in order for him to be up on this couch, he's got to be calm and cool and relaxed. And that isn't going to happen for probably a couple of months, at least. When all seems well there, then you can really start working on asking your husband to have the dog in a sit and taking a treat from halfway between the dog and your husband and drawing it up to your eyes. That's what we refer to as luring. And when he makes eye contact with your husband, even for just a second, good boy, toss the treat. So again, you're always pushing the dog out, but you're also drawing him in now. Now you're getting the eye contact, which sometimes for dogs is a huge trigger in and of itself, but it also requires attention and respect. So when you feel like you're going in a positive direction and you're seeing less of the inflammatory behavior, that's when I start asking for eye contact. I don't do it when I know the dog is going to look at it as a challenge or combative. Another management technique I would recommend is teaching your dog the cue over here. So this way, you know, you can start getting the dog away from things or even you if necessary. Basically, when I say over here, I'm pointing in a very specific direction and it's always away from me or away from where they're laying down. So this way they have to go through the effort of moving where they are, but I'm never putting my hands on them. So I'll point and say over here and then maybe even toss a treat in the, that direction the first time or two. And then once he starts getting the idea, then I just point and I'll wait. And I'll wait till he starts matching where my hand is and pointing in the distance. And as soon as he's there, good boy, toss a treat, that's the end of the behavior. This is really useful if the dog doesn't wanna be moved by your husband and it has a hands-off approach to get him not only listening to your husband, but keeping your hu husband's fingers and toes safe in the process. My last two pieces of advice are for your husband specifically. So if there are ever times where he's feeling frustrated, that's where I stop. I always stop there. I take a break. I tell all of my clients, you're only human. Not everybody can handle this in all in one shot. Not you, not the dog, nobody. So if you really want to, to make the most progress, you have to be in the right headspace to do it, which is another reason why I think brief periods of interaction are going to benefit your husband and your dog more so than trying to work with them for 30 minutes at a go would be a great goal. But if your husband is stressed during the process or he just generally isn't interested, the dog can tell. And that's going to add more fuel to the fire because he's already not a huge fan of your husband for whatever reason. And the other main piece of advice I have, and I tell every client this, whether it's a good interaction uh, between them and their dog generally or not, and that is do not get angry with your dog. I know this sounds a little inhuman, 
But truthfully, dogs stop learning when you get aggressive, be it verbally, physically, just emotionally aggressive. They're sensing all of those things, just like a tiny child would. So if you think of it like everything that you say that's positive is going to get locked in their memory, then you're just going to get further down the road in a faster amount of time. But if you're pushing on the dog and their nerves and their resistant in the process, you're not going to get anywhere. You need to back up, back up, back up. I'm going to ask Harriet to write back to the show and kind of give us an update in a week or two of how things are progressing so that we can further advise her on what to do with her little Edward and see how things are going. So thank you again for listening, Harriet. And I look forward to getting an update about Edward soon. Just in case you're wondering, we're actually going to do a full episode on aggression because I feel like it's a very in-depth topic. Manifests in multiple different areas. There can be a litany of different triggers and some dogs struggle with more than one trigger. Sometimes they're aggressive towards strangers and then sometimes they're aggressive towards other dogs in the house or children. So we're going to go and dig deep on that topic. But for now, I want to leave Harriet with some tips and ideas of where to start. And then we'll have an episode later this week about how to address aggression and what it looks like and and where it comes from and how to really start looking at it differently. Because Like I mentioned earlier, there's lots of misconceptions about what aggression is. So for us to properly treat it and for us to properly address it, we need to know what we're dealing with in the first place. Okay, so our next question comes from David in New Orleans. And David writes, my neighbor has a pit bull and I have kids. What do I need to watch out for? And is there a way to get rid of this dog? Okay, David, so this is kind of a controversial topic, and I think the best way to tackle it is by educating you on what pit bulls are, what real risk they pose versus other breeds, and how you can, while protecting your family, be mindful of what's really in front of you. Your email, it doesn't actually say whether the dog has caused problems with your family directly. I think generally what I'm getting from the email is that you're afraid of the breed in general, which is actually very common, especially here in America right now, but it's kind of an irrational fear. First of all, all dogs can bite. It doesn't matter what their breed is, and it certainly isn't a larger risk to have a pit bull as a neighbor versus a boxer or even a lab. I mean, some of the worst aggression cases, and this was very shocking to my clients to hear, came from labs, you know, and and there's several reasons for that. And labs are generally considered the number one family dog. So first of all, piece of advice, anything with a mouth can bite. It doesn't mean that because it's a pit bull, it's going to be mean because that's actually not true. Uh, How you raise them has a great deal to do with how they turn out, just as it would with any other breed. For the last 15 years, I've actually been an American Pitbull advocate, and there's a ton of reasons for why I feel as strongly as I do when it comes to Pitbulls. First of all, we're demonizing them. And I don't mean us as individuals. Largely, the propaganda and media takes it and spins it for ratings, to, to draw attention, And then sometimes you'll hear about statistics surrounding pit bulls and they kill more people. Let me tell you something about statistics. First of all, (laughs) they're rooted in media reports, meaning that if you have a Cavalier King Charles or a Pomeranian and it attacks somebody in your family, if your family member doesn't call the media outlet and say, my Pomeranian just took off my nephew's finger, 
not going to add that to the statistics that you're reading online. They're going based on what's reported to them. Another piece of information that I hear a lot is pit bulls get lockjaw. They, once they lock onto something, they can't let go of it. Well, first of all, I can tell you right now from owning a pit bull, that's not true. Now, are they more resistant to letting go? Yeah, they can be. That doesn't mean that they're predisposed to biting down and attacking something. It depends on what the threat level is and how they've been trained. I worked with a chihuahua to give you an example that every time the chihuahua bit its owner, he wouldn't let go. I mean, the owner could literally like shake his hand around and the dog would still be on it. Does he have lockjaw? No, he doesn't. So I want to throw that myth right out the window. It's just not conducive to really learning anything about the breed. You're making an assumption based on no differences physically. I also want to point out that I was myself afraid of pit bulls before I actually knew anything about the breed, before I was a trainer. And here's what I'll tell you about them. They're extremely resilient dogs. Um, they have a high level of retention. They can be fantastic with children and the optimum family dog. But training has a lot to do with that. And sometimes we pay attention to the negative instead of really reading a little bit more into it. For example, dogs that are chained up in a yard, regardless of breed, are at risk of becoming aggressive. If they are left to survival instincts, they become really territorial. And I do not limit that to pit bulls. I've seen it in every breed I've ever worked with that's left in a yard full time. It's even worse if they're chained, actually, because then there's no real freedom and they tend to become obsessive of the, the limited world that they have access to, which causes all sorts of problems. If you don't socialize a dog, their reactivity, their anxiety, their aggression, all of that is amplified because there is no real language or history to go on that's shown them that the world is an okay place to live. And I always used to tell people, you know, if you leave me chained up in a yard after a month or two, I'm not going to be nice. You're not going to want to hop into my yard and go get your ball because I'm going to be like, this is my yard. Nobody ever bothers with me and you better not either. So context has a lot to do with it. In fact, there's, there was a recent case uh, that made the news and this guy had two pit bulls and this woman was inside and her son was playing ball with his friend and the ball ended up inside the neighbor's fence. Now, rather than going to his mom and asking her to go over to the neighbor and ask for them to retrieve it, he decided to take it upon himself and go into the yard. Lots of kids do things like that because they don't really know if there is danger. But I want to reinforce that it is not the breed that makes the situation dangerous. It's the fact that it's not his property. And the dog lives there full time, assuming it is his property. So he was handling that no differently than he would if someone were intruding right into the house. In the report, it talks about how the son was attacked and nearly killed. Well, I can tell you after seeing the photos and the videos, the dog was not nearly killed. And he had one bite and out of two dogs that were twice his size, um, not puncturing the skin whatsoever tells me they were warning him. They were trying to get him out of their space. They weren't trying to kill him because he probably would be dead. I mean, that sounds horrible, but that's true of any breed. Again, you know, you can see that level of aggression in a family dog. I had a client who had the nicest Great Dane mix and never in his their wildest dreams would they have ever assumed that he would have been aggressive but a similar situation happened in their home they were out 
front yard and unbeknownst to them where their dog was in the backyard somebody's toy flew into the yard and the kid opened their gate to go and retrieve the toy and all of a sudden from the front yard they're hearing a huge massive scuffle going on right at their home while they're home just in the backyard so of course they went in to go see what was going on and that dog had left a lot of damage on that child. In fact, he needed quite a few stitches and they were terrified now. They never had this history with this dog before. They'd had, their their children had had friends over multiple times, never a bad thing. But like I explained to the client, to the dog, it was very cut and dry. There's something in my yard that could have triggered him right there before the child ever showed up. And then that turned into someone's intruding on my property. And you hear stories about you know, lawn people getting attacked or package delivery people getting attacked. And those sorts of situations are usually rooted in two problems. One, the dog wasn't under supervision to begin with. And two, the dogs often, if they were socialized, assumed that the person that was coming into their property was a stranger, was someone who was unwelcome because there wasn't anybody letting them in the door. Now, I don't know what your individual setup is like, how close you are to the neighbor, what the likelihood is that your children are going to, you know, go and retrieve a ball, but I would start prepping your kids because this should be an across the board neighborly slash child awareness topic. I would always tell my son, you know, if, if you lose something on someone else's property, you need to come get me. And at that point, I'll go over and we'll go get the neighbor to get it out. I don't want you going into that property because we don't live there and the dog does. Another thing to be mindful of, and I think it's really hard for people to keep in perspective, is what is your child doing in the presence of this dog? Whether it's through the fence, whether it's, you know, every time they come in contact, even from a distance, what does that look like? Are they staring down the dog? Are they barking at the dog? Are they taunting them through the fence by sticking their fingers or something else through it? Or are they, you know, in some way taunting the dog? Because if the answer is yes to any of those things, it needs to stop immediately because eventually any dog is going to go nuts and it may not even be with your child. It might be the unlucky guy that doesn't listen to this podcast and his kid goes to go retrieve a ball. And because of all the bad experiences that have built up in this dog's mind, now we have an attack on our hands. Now, I always tell people who have kids that love dogs, that's fantastic. But unless you have already built up a relationship that's positive with this individual dog, you need to treat it like a wild animal because you don't know if the dog's been trained. You don't know how they're going to react. And you certainly don't know if dog likes kids. You know, some dogs just don't like kids. It has nothing to do with, you know, the dog even being territorial. Sometimes that the fact that kids are unpredictable and their body language is a lot more sporadic than that of an adult, that can put them in a really defensive, defensive, reactive, combative of mind. So keep things in perspective. The other thing I want to do is talk a little bit about pit bull history. Um, first of all, we created the breed. We created the breed for a number of reasons, but companion dog was actually at the top of what we were really wanting from them. The other thing is we really wanted loyalty built in there. We wanted a thick body, a solid mind, a dog that could be resourceful, and a dog that could be used for work. You know, they're, they're pretty stout dogs, so they could, you know, pull things around. If someone was out and about in a rural area, they'd take the dog with them, and if something ever tried descending on them, the dog would defend him 
with its life because that was a very big part of the inherent loyalty that we bred into them. And we didn't breed it back out. They're still very loyal dogs. Back in the 1920s, they were actually the number one family dog. And I think almost no one knows that, which I think is really sad because not only are they trainable dogs, but when they're raised by people who use positive reinforcement, who understand that this is kind of a bad rep and a raw deal for the dog, because not only did we breed them and keep breeding them, but then we stopped educating them. We stopped holding a standard for them to be socialized. We stopped you know, having them interact with us on a daily basis and the people that we were around. And so we gave them a very limited world. Does that make them more aggressive? I think it would make any dog aggressive, but it certainly is not breed specific. I've also heard the misnomer that an aggressive pit bull can never be fixed. It's just in them and that's where it's always going to be inside them. And there's always going to be some trigger someday that'll pop up and nobody will know when it's coming. Well, first of all, I can tell you when it comes to aggression, there's always a warning. I've only in my entire career seen two cases of dogs that didn't signal and in neither case were they pit bulls. So it's a lot of the time a matter of not keying into those signals. All warnings are verbal. Sometimes it's the stance a dog's taking. Sometimes it's, you know, they're them freezing and getting what we refer to as whale eye, which you can Google that and it'll show you exactly what that looks like. Or perhaps the dog has its hackles up. But whenever I hear of an attack, I always ask the bigger question, why? What was missed? What language was already shared? Because the likelihood of the dog not being one to signal is pretty remote. You know, in a couple thousand dogs, I've only ever seen two that didn't signal. And one was a Siberian Husky, the other was a Lab. And so short of that, and I'm not singling those breeds out either, by the way, because like I mentioned earlier, this can happen with any breed. This is a lot going back to education. Also poor breeding can be a contributing factor because you can do what I refer to as breeding the brains out. So if you, you know, breed a breed over and over and over and you water down the genetics, they lose their capabilities for self-control. You can unknowingly be promoting things like anxiety-based behaviors genetically. Um, but again, that's a choice that was made before the dog ever showed up here. So we're still responsible. You know, now pit bulls are the topic of interest and we're saying that those are the demon dogs, but before it was Dobermans and before that, even German Shepherds. So to me, saying that a specific breed is aggressive is ignorance and ignorance is bliss. You know, you need to know where they're getting the stats from. If people aren't calling in and reporting mortal injuries from other breeds of dogs, you're not going to hear about it. And for that matter, because we're kind of on a roll with the pit bull hate campaign, we're losing all of the real information about the individual dog. And the surrounding context can play a major role in how things are spun. So I would highly caution anybody who's hearing these awful pit bull stories. You know, I've got a pit bull at home. I've worked with a few hundred. Um, and what I'll tell you is this, they're not only resilient and obedient and kind and loving, but they are fantastic dogs. They're, they're awesome companions. One of mine is a service animal and he functions as an excellent medical alert dog. Um, add to that, he has re helped me rehabilitate a lot of dogs that were 
heavily aggressive, that had severe anxiety, he would really help me bridge that gap because he can speak dog even better than I can read it. So to say that pit bulls are aggressive or you need to hide your children because a pit bull is around is a little ridiculous. As far as having a neighbor with a pit bull, okay, so if you have specific concerns, perhaps you've seen something or noticed something that just doesn't give you a good feeling about having the dog next door, aside from its breed. For example, the dog's trying to jump the fence or he's trying to crawl through the fence to your side. That's still your property. You don't want that going on. So I would first go over to the neighbor and try addressing it there. And if that's a no-go, get animal control involved because it's their job to make sure the community is safe. I don't want to see anybody's dog be taken by animal care and control. It's a horrible feeling. But sometimes if you've tried addressing the problem in a kind, neighborly sort of way, and you get the door thrown in your face, then you have to go with a form of authority. You don't take it into your own hands and try disciplining the dog yourself. You have a professional get involved who can cite this person, who can bring aid to the situation, who actually has power within the community. And their first concern is always to protect people within that community. So keep perspective. You know, if you're having actual problems right now with this dog, go ahead and try and address it with your neighbor. I would do that once. If you don't see any improvement and you see no steps being taken to protect your yard from this dog, or you see the problem consistently building, in the meantime, I would tell my kids, they're not allowed to be in the backyard without me. So this way, if I if something starts to materialize, I'll see it before a child would notice because they're playing a game and I can get the kids inside. But within a week, whatever your concerns that you've addressed with your neighbor are not addressed, that's when it's time to call animal care and control. I'd also start taking videos and documenting the problem. And I would do this, I'm gonna keep reiterating, with any breed. I don't care if it's a Pomeranian. I don't care if it's a hound dog. I don't know that dog. I don't know if that dog knows anything about people in general. And I never make the assumption that they're friendly because of a breed. Because you can be, what they've been trained or lack of training can be equally detrimental. In the meantime, educate your children. Tell them, you know, they need to be with you if they're gonna play in the backyard or they can play in the front yard where the do other dog doesn't have any direct access to them. If the dog is trying to you know, clamor through the fence, I would start blocking that with cinder blocks to really slow that process down because once he gets his head through, you could be in a really awful situation because when a dog actually breaks through a fence, there's a feeling of relief and reward for them. It's an extremely dangerous dynamic and it's more likely to happen because once they've made it through once, they're gonna try to do it and push and push and push until they get through twice, three times, four times, the list goes on. So if there is any way to go ahead and kind of barricade your fence away from this dog, be it cinder blocks or pavers or something so they can't crawl through, just to secure your area and make it safer for your children, do it. You know, you unfortunately can't train someone else's dog. I, I always tell people, you know what, if it's someone else's dog and it's on their property, you don't have a lot of wiggle room there. You know, I wouldn't be tossing treats over the fence because, you know, as soon as the dog figures out, okay, there's a food source here, while that normally would be good, the barrier can actually cause more aggression. And if they don't get the treat they're expecting, guess what, now you're a target because you didn't deliver. So while I do as a mother understand being protective of your family, 
I really want you to understand this is not a breed specific problem. A dog is no more likely to attack because it's a pit bull versus a poodle. So I just want to kind of throw some of those realizations and wide made assumptions because like I said earlier, you know, it, I'll give you an example. The Siberian Husky I mentioned earlier had had 50 incidents of aggression, 50, five, zero. And in each case, that was either directed towards the primary caregivers within the home or their grandchildren and their grandchildren's friends. Now, were there things that the kids were doing that were contributing to this behavior? Yes, absolutely there were. But by the time anyone started taking notice of the contributing factors there, you were already on board a sinking ship. So, Siberian Huskies are an extremely popular breed. Lots of people have them in apartments, out of apartments, on rural properties, what have you. And my point in saying this is it wasn't the breed that made him aggressive. It was the fact that he hadn't been trained. It was the fact that he had triggers that hadn't been neutralized. And that was never reported. It wasn't reported to their doctors. In fact, they said that they had been bit by uh, a stranger's dog and a neighbor's dog. And they said they didn't know where the dog came from. And because of their love for the dog, they had actually made him like a missile, an unguided missile. It wasn't predestination by breed. This was a simple case of no interaction, no positive feedback, and no foundation. If they had called their local news station, you know, every time there was an interaction like that, 50 times, I wouldn't be shocked if it only aired once because Siberian Huskies are not looked at as an, quote, aggressive breed. It doesn't mean they aren't. It doesn't mean they can't be, but that's not going to get them ratings. Pitbulls are the big, ugly, bad dogs out right now. And we always demonize a, a breed almost every 10 to 15 years. We pick a new one to obsessively dissect and pull apart instead of really looking at what your contributors are and for that matter, what isn't being reported. There are some news stations that will occasionally show videos of officers with pit bulls and how great the dogs are, or in, in very, very rare cases, sometimes you hear about someone breaking into a property and the pit bull defending the owner. And all of this kind of gets lost in the shuffle because what I hear most often is, this pit bull attacked this child and almost killed him or worse off, they did. You could play that same story with a handful of large breeds and we need to have that dialogue. We need to educate ourselves and get a little more history on the breed. And then we need to look at things from both sides of the fence. No pun intended there either. You know, even dogs that have been used in dog fighting, in my experience, can be rehabilitated. So there really isn't an excuse to say that this breed is bad and once the damage is done, it's forever because that's just simply untrue. So I hope I gave you some food for thought and perhaps gave you some ideas of what to do in the interim to protect your family from any dog, not just pit bulls. And our last question comes from Mary Sims. She writes, my dog has peed everywhere. What do I do? Okay, so based on your dog's name being Tanya, I'm going to make the assumption she's a female and females can be really opportunistic. The first thing you want to do is make sure you're deodorizing properly. You can use vinegar mixed with some water. So one part vinegar to three parts water. That's a simple grab stuff from your kitchen little recipe there. If you're noticing she's going to a specific space, start blocking that space off. And when she starts heading that direction, I would go, ah, uh -uh, no ma'am, and I'd call her back to me. If she's going to the bathroom on a carpet and you need to do stain removal, I always like the 
Woolite Pet Stain Remover. It's fantastic, it deodorizes as well. I stay away from a lot of other products, not only because some of them are overpriced, but honestly, because Woolite isn't expensive, you can get it at any Walmart and a lot of grocery stores as well, and it does exactly the same thing. If you're getting accidents on tile, then uh, Odoban, O-D-O-B-A-N, Odoban, you can find that at, again, Walmart, lots of different grocery stores. It's usually in the cleaning supplies area, and that's fantastic. It not only takes the smell out, but you can use it for all sorts of things. Like if your dog throws up or have a severe accident because they're sick, great product. So I always recommend that, especially if you don't have carpet to worry about. The other thing I want you to be mindful of is, is she on a schedule? Is she able to predict when she's gonna go out? Because if the answer is no, the opportunity and likelihood of accidents popping up and cropping up over and over is so much higher. So make sure that you've got a routine down with her and you can even kind of make a whole show of it and say, hey, Tanya, gotta go outside. And when she gets all excited, open up the door and take her out. So this way, she has an association of where it's supposed to go, but she also has a dependability factor that will help her want to hold it. It'll instill in her that capability because she's gonna go, okay, well, I already went this morning, I'm gonna go again this afternoon, so I don't have to worry about it right now, and I'm gonna go couch surf for a little while and watch Jeopardy with dad. If you're noticing it in specific spots, like if she always goes to the same mat or the same rug or she's peeing on the same spot on the couch, you need to stop her access to that altogether. And if that means blocking the room when you're not in it, so this way when you are in it, you can herd her off and tell her, uh-uh, off, then that's what you do. Sometimes a little bit of prevention helps and then you can always start to curtail the behavior when you're actually present. But if she's getting free access wherever and you're seeing the same accidents in the same places, you need to block those spaces until you have your eyes on the situation and you can stop it and redirect it. I always stop and redirect behaviors by going, uh uh-uh. I sometimes clap my hands to get their attention, especially if they're pottying, and then I take them straight outside and I show them where I do want them to go and then I reward them. Even if I'm out there for another 15 minutes and all of a sudden, magically, they don't have to go to the bathroom, I wait it out with them. And when they do what I ask, then I reward them and I give them access back in the house. I still don't give them access to furniture if that's what they're relieving themselves on. And my last piece of advice, and I've mentioned this before as well, is if you don't catch her in the act, you can't discipline for it. You can't stop and redirect. You don't ever bring a dog back to a mess because while you're kind of reading them the riot act, they may appear like they understand what you're saying. They may appear like they understand not to do it again, but reality is they're not getting the message. It's already in the far recesses of their mind. And while they look guilty, they actually don't know what they're guilty of. So catching them in the act is key. If you miss it, you just have to clean it up and act like it didn't happen. If this is somewhat of a taxing process, you can always limit her to one specific area and baby gate it off while you're gone or you know if she's out of sight. So this way you've got a controlled space for her to learn boundaries in and not everything is a free for all. So those are my tips and tricks to try when you have a dog that's eliminating in the house. Thank you all for your questions. I love getting them, love getting feedback on the show and seeing how we can improve it. If you haven't already, go ahead and follow us on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash podcast. And we also have a Twitter, so you can find us on there. And we have an Instagram. Most of all, if you like our show, please leave us 
a star rating and a review on our iTunes that helps with our ratings, especially if they're good ones. And it gives a little bit more exposure because it says that people are listening to us. They like what we're putting out there. So we'd be very appreciative if you would go ahead and do that. I'll put directions in the show notes so that you guys can follow those and leave us a star rating and maybe leave us a review. Let us know what you like about the show. This is Victoria, your dog guru, and I'll talk to you later. Namaste.